Hey everybody, it's Rudy Basso, the co-owner of Don't Split the Podcast Network. I would like to encourage you, lovely listener, to head on over to our website and give a listen to my show that I host with my brother called Game O'Clock. It is a video game retrospective, introspective, other spectives, all about the kind of games that we love. And to be honest, we love just about every game out there. Game O'Clock released every Thursday. It's fun, it's short, and hey, you'll probably learn something about video games. Howdy! Uh, my name is Mike Shea. This is our second episode of the DM's Deep Dive right here on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. This is a show that's going to be on YouTube. It's on Twitch right now live, and it's going to be a podcast as well. And uh, we're here today to talk about uh, the DM experiences from organized play. I'm here with a very good friend of mine, Teos Abadia. Teos and I, I went and looked through my email to see how long we've known each other. Uh, at least six years, uh, Teos and I have been... Uh, friends and we have worked together on numerous projects we have run into each other at many con many conventions and he and i have had many conversations about organized play including conversations we had just a few weeks ago at uh, winter fantasy which was awesome we're going to jump right in so the way the way the show sorry teos would you like to introduce yourself would you like to say hello uh hi everybody thanks for having me on mike uh as you know i think the world of you and oh. of all the things you write every monday somehow punctually with like Many blog posts lined up, ready to go. You're incredible. Your books are awesome. Uh, everything you do is is gold. So awesome. I should have you on every every show. That's why I said that. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually Tuesdays when there's a Monday holiday because I never want to. I always want people to read while they're at work. That's a secret trick. Don't tell anybody that. I won't. Um, so uh, we also have uh, our guardian, our guardian angel, uh, Alex Basso, Basso, is on uh, the line as well. He is invisible, but he is watching the chat channel. Uh, we're going to have a conversation for about a half an hour, uh, Teos and I, and then we're going to uh, answer questions that have come from the folks on Twitter, uh, if anybody posts on Twitter, and on the Skype channel. And Alex will be giving those. Uh, Alex, can you say hello, or are you muted? Solar with his arrows of slaying, so, so <laughs> careful. Uh, so I, I wanted to start off by talking to Teos about uh, his uh, experiences in organized play, why, why, why I brought him on the show. So Teos, do you, do you want to uh, give a brief summary of your experience with organized play? Sure. So organized play goes back way before my time, but I started in 2000 with the birth of Living Greyhawk. And that was an organized play campaign based in the world of Greyhawk, uh, one of the Dungeons and Dragons settings. And the way I got into it is I was traveling a lot for work. So I would try to be in a home campaign. Like I would do the old go to the game store, uh, get something off the pegboard, call them, try to be in a game because uh, this is pre-internet pre being serious. And then I would travel and I would miss like three game sessions. And I'd come back and I wouldn't even know what was happening and everybody would be two levels higher. And that was terrible. So I found that this thing organized play, I could like play module one and then I could show up whenever I could and find a group that was playing module two. And it's like, I never left the story, right? It was like the best thing ever. But beyond that, what was really super awesome about organized play is that I was able to be a part of this huge community with all these volunteers and like there are people creating stuff. And I got really excited, like, how do I help out? How do I make this happen? Like people are creating stuff, but on a huge scale that touches thousands of people, I wanna be uh, a part of that. And so, you know, my deep dive into organized play was with me just kind of being super excited about that volunteer aspect. 
Uh, do you want to talk about that? So uh, uh, I think one of the first ways that I really saw your your effort in this was the Ashes of Athos campaign. You call it a campaign season yeah, uh, campaign thing, right? Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Because I know you, you had a pretty, uh, a pretty big role in that. Sure. Uh, that was an unbelievable opportunity. One of the things I swore I would never do, I swore it to my wife, to my friends, to myself, is I would never be an admin for an organized play campaign because it's insane work. And I knew it just having seen people do it for Living Greyhawk. But then I had an opportunity where someone came to me and said, would you be willing to head up this organized play campaign set in Dark Sun? And I mean, I love Dark Sun. I used to be like one of the people who ran the list server back in the Stone Age. And so, I mean, I was just super, I was like, okay, I can't say no to that. Uh, and I also saw it as an opportunity to give back, right? Like all these people had done things for me, had admin campaigns for me, had written adventures. You know, now I would do it. Uh, and, and it was awesome. And I, we had a fantastic team with Derek Guter, who runs events for Gen Con, uh, and Chad Brown, who you can see at Lone Shark Games, who makes all kinds of amazing things. So working with those creative types and some other people who helped as well, and all the authors, that was an unbelievable experience. And we, for three years, created nine adventures a year and ended in an enormous battle interactive where people took ships into the Sea of Silt and fought a uh, awakening primordial and prevented it. And made, they made choices about what would happen at every stage of the campaign. And it was unbelievably super fun. Yeah, I remember. So my, my, my wife loves to tell the story about one of the adventures where uh, they ended up rich. And, you know, there was like one kind of series of events that would lead off to the point where they basically became rich. And, and I think the DM's like, you can do this and your characters are retired. And they're yeah. like, we don't care. We're doing it. Like, we're, you know, we have water and metal, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun part of the adventure. We, uh, we, when the author wrote it up, he said, um, he's a good friend of mine. He said, you know, what if mm -hmm. the players can actually keep this stuff? Like they probably won't, but, but some of them will say, yeah, you know what? I'm keeping this. And then you just leave the campaign. And we're like, yeah, that's perfect. Makes great right, sense. Right. It's one of those great D&D &D moments that like a video game would never let you do that, right? A video right. game would just put an invisible wall up between you and the loot. And this is one where not only, and you would think organized play would have that trick as well, right? Like, well, sorry, you can't just be rich. You know, there's a formula for how much money you're allowed to have. And and it was yeah. neat to see venture that said, nope, you know, you don't get to ruin the game for everyone else, but you can you can be, you know, you can do this. That is um, fun. And one of the things that's tough in organized play when you're trying to create a, a unique experience mm -hmm. is that usually whatever you're writing is going to be played many times over some time span, you know, a year or more. And so like, for example, people who went to um, a reissue of the White Plume Man Mountain classic adventure for organized play, they came out of it, if they'd been in the soul gem being kind of sucked into it, they came out white. And so you'd <laughs> play, like I didn't go to that convention, I think it was at Origins one year, uh, but you know, people would show up and they're just white head to toe, every part of them, right? It's just like <laughs> alabaster white. And then you'd go to another table and someone else might be that way, right? And you're like, all right, you're another person who did that, gotcha. <laughs> <Neat>. <laughs> Um, so if you had to guess, about how many organized play games have you DM'd over the years? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I used to do Living Greyhawk three times a week, right? Three, four-hour adventures a week is what my average was. I remember kind of oh. figuring it out one time, including convention play. And a lot of that was DMing. Mm -hmm. um, and then for Living Forgotten Realms, I think I once figured out that I did like 400 four-hour adventures across the, the years there. So like, you know, 1,600 hours there, like more than 3,000 hours for <laughs> Living Greyhawk. Uh, then there's the Ashes of Athos. Even if you don't count the design work and stuff, it was a lot of DMing because I'd run them over and over again at, at conventions. Mm -hmm. 5e running stuff, play tests. 
And then there's all the non-D&D stuff, Living Spycraft, Shadowrun Missions, mm-hmm. um, uh, Heroes of Rokugan, right? And and I DM tons for all those campaigns and, and others. So. so do you think it's it's probably safe to say you hit your 10,000 hours of uh, DMing yeah. organized yeah. play? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Adding in playtests and things like that, I would expect <laughs> I probably have. So. That's awesome. So that's one of the reasons we have you here, right? We want to we want to take your head and squeeze it and get you know all the juices out, all that 10,000 hours of experience. We want everybody to get get parts of that. So. I'm Thank you for coming. My fluids. You, you better. So here on the deep dive, I, I like to kind of dig deep into the topic rather than sort of hit the surface level stuff. But I think it's important to you know get a couple of those surface level things. So with that ten thousand hours, you know, ten thousand hours plus of experience running and 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 countless hours watching people run games, right? You've you've been with many DMs, right, and seen how they yeah. they operate and organize play. Um, what are what are like your first, second, third biggest takeaways? So and, and and you're you're totally right. Like that's one of the greatest benefits is that you get to be a part of so many games and learn so much. And maybe that's just the first takeaway is that the hobby. I never imagined back when I was playing with one DM in you know the sixth grade how amazingly diverse and rich the hobby can be. How many different ways you can approach it. How many things there are to learn about it. The new angles, the techniques. Uh, as a player too, but but you just you just see you know you play. And through organized play, you know, you can play the same adventure with different DMs mm-hmm. or run the same adventure for different tables. And when you see how people approach these situations, it just tells you, you know, this is a hobby that never stops giving back to you, never runs out of experiences and things to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably my first takeaway is just that, that uh, being blown away by how, how rich it is. Second thing is that you can really create an amazing community when you work together, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Ashes of Athos, where we would weave together this narrative and this story, and then see people feed off of that and develop more out of it. Or Living Greyhawk was, you know, amazing for that. In just the 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 adventures would even adapt to what the players were doing, right? Because the players would make such a strong show of preferring one action over another, wanting to see the adventures go in a certain direction. Um, so seeing that community is probably an, an amazing learning. As a player, one of the really big things was seeing how you can create a character that doesn't just have like a, a shtick, mm-hmm. but a shtick that the table feeds off of. Mm-hmm. So like one of my friends, uh, he played a character called Boshek uh, of Azmechadom, and he invented this god called Azmechadom. And I, I say invented, we all know it's real. But... Boshek would walk around with a little bag around his neck, which he called the vault of his mechadome, and he would peer inside and ask it questions. And so basically, inside was his familiar, which, you know, eventually you probably figured out maybe what it was or got it down to a couple. Of course, it's actually a god. But he would basically, what you realize is he, his shtick was his characters being run by the creature. Mm-hmm. All right, that's hmm. who's really calling the shots and doing things. But the way he would do it, because it was sort of comical and intriguing, it so caused you to want to do things about it, right? People would mm-hmm. want to take the bag or they'd want to look into it or cast a divination about it or make, you know, just revolve around it. And so it was just that kind of character that it would excite everybody else at the table and get everybody else thinking and planning. And that was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. And you've seen a lot of that over the over the years with different... Yeah. 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 And he, he was, uh, I was in an adventuring company with him uh, called Griffin's Wrath and all of the, all of the people in there, I could tell stories about what their characters did and, and how they approached it. And so I learned from those guys, uh, you know, just soaked it all in, right? It was mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is a third, a third big takeaway you've had from your experience with 
organized play. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the third one as a player. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the richness of it, the community experience and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. player side. Gotcha, but gotcha. Yeah, as yeah, a yeah. DM. Uh, Sorry, I'm squeezing for a fourth. No, that's yeah. As a DM, there there are countless things, countless tips. I mean, similar to how you see, you know, a player that does and shows you how to make an amazing experience for the table. Sometimes you like prepare a DM, uh, prepare an adventure for a convention, but you get to play it beforehand, mm-hmm. and you see how someone runs it, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Or mm-hmm. a, a table that I ran for you once was uh, the play test of, for fifth edition with mm-hmm. um, the Caves of Chaos. Yeah, right. The Caves of Chaos, if folks know, comes from the Keep on the Borderlands, very famous adventure. And it's just kind of this sandboxy, here are these caves, and you can go to any one of these holes. Uh, you know, the bottom ones, closer ones are easier, but you could really go anywhere. Uh, and so when thinking about how to playtest this and run, run the playtest at Winter Fantasy one year, I'm like, okay, how do I do that, right? What, what, what do I pull off here? And someone, uh, actually, it was Chatty DM, who was mm-hmm. in a car with Sean Merwin, mm-hmm. and they talked about something like a box that was in one place and people have to find it. And then, then they maybe even came up with the actual idea that, that I ended up using, but something about a, a wedding. And, and Yeah, so I, I remember that. So yeah, so I played off that the you actually are brought here not by uh, good people, but by goblins who are complaining about the other people being riled up. And it's because there's a wedding going on between two hobgoblins, and they're kind of fighting other people, other uh, creatures that live in the caves to prove themselves. And so I just created this shtick. And you know, I think at your table we had this scene where you guys walked in on the bride who's being measured by a goblin. You know, he's there with like a tape measure, <laughs> completely made up, right? But it was because of these ideas that someone else had cooked right. up that I could then feed off of that. Yeah, yeah, that was a particularly. I remember that because there was that great big pit of all of the different people running the same adventure. And uh, we all had to sign NDAs to even get into the pit. Yeah. Everything was on yellow paper so that you couldn't <laughs> Xerox it. And, um, but one thing that was really, and this, this kind of gets into, the, uh, into what you were talking about, being able to like, look around and see the same adventure being run by four or five different DMs at the same time and hear the different stories that are taking place out of that one same you know, adventure that was like, what, 35 years old or something. Yeah you know, was was really interesting and not something, you know, when we think about people who run home games, it's not typically an experience that you get running home games is to, to be able to see that, you know, like you said, that same adventure run multiple times. It's really, yeah, it's really know, like a lot of times you run a home game and you're like, oh, that went pretty well, you know, but I feel like I could have done something differently. Mm-hmm. When you run an organized play at a convention, you, you know, run it in slot one and you then you run it in slot two and then maybe in slot five. And each one gets better, but mm-hmm. they're you know usually kind of different, and you you learn something each time. There was yeah, an investigative really... mod I ran once, and the first time was just amazing, and the second time I completely messed it up. And I really <laughs> really learned from that because I, I I thought I should just let them figure it out without giving them a hint, and I and then then I sort of overthought it. I started freezing and thinking like, oh man, I'm doing such a bad job of this. <laughs> and you know, but that was one tough experience, and honestly, they had an okay time. You know, from then on, I was like, okay, I know how to handle the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people do it. I, I imagine, I imagine it's not, it's, it's relatively rare that people run the same adventure more than once. But I've had, or you know, within a quick succession. Um, but now with the hardback books, I've been running the hardback books in parallel for two groups. So I ran oh. Curse of Strahd with two groups. 
I ran the first part of Horde of the Dragon. I ran Horde of the Dragon Queen with two groups, and now I'm running Storm King's Thunder with two groups. And at first, my instinct was like, well, this is going to be boring. Like, I'm, I don't want to run the same material multiple times. And what I found is that the differences between the two groups have been really interesting. And one of those groups is getting a far better outcome yeah. because I've tried it out. So it, it kind of rotates who, yeah, right, depending yeah. on which sessions get missed and everything. So that's, it's you know, luckily it's not like one group's always getting the shaft. Um, but it's but it's been kind of interesting yeah. that, that, you know, running it the second time, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I know how to run it. You know, one group was a test group. The other group actually gets like a whole thing and then sometimes it flips back. But but also seeing the differences to run two different Curse of Strahd games and having Strahd's relationship with the group be very different. in either, Ooh, either yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting. So we, we had a, a question from, from Twitter, and um, I'm kind of manipulating the text to be something that I want it to be. So, um, but one of the questions is like, how do you, how does somebody, what's the best way for somebody to get started DMing an organized play? And how does somebody get over the fear of, you know, DMing for a bunch of strangers at a game shop, right? They're in an unfamiliar sure. place. They're with unfamiliar people, potentially running unfamiliar material. And that's a, that's a pretty big you know, leap to make for a lot of folks. What are what are some tricks that can help them make that leap? So uh, if there's a current program running, it's a lot easier, right? Because one of the things you can do is just go and play for a bit and see see how it's handled. Because there's often, especially in the in the better managed stores, there's someone who kind of organizes it, like a lead DM or even someone maybe doesn't DM but just kind of organize it. They might work for the store. They might be a volunteer. Uh, we have an amazing one here in Portland. Uh, she just, you know, coordinates like i don't know seven or eight tables at a time and and it's fantastic uh you can actually go to the adventures league website and uh amazing woman uh lauren blanco i think is her last name mm -hmm. uh, yep. i met her at, at uh uh at gen con one year she runs an incredible gaming store yeah, in brooklyn jersey right oh uh, brooklyn, brooklyn new york oh god yeah, yeah. and she uh wrote some articles on how to get started and how to run a program at a store that are on the adventures league website definitely worth reading mm -hmm. but if there's a program you can kind of go in and say all right you know i'm going to play and i'm going to get the feel for it uh and then it's a matter of you know signing up with the store and saying i want to dm sometime uh reading over the material and usually what you're running at a especially at a store is not particularly long mm -hmm. um and so you can read over that material you've got lots of time to look over it and then run it. If you're doing an Adventures League adventure, like the actual thing versus a chapter from one of the published books, uh, then it, you know it's usually either two hour or four adventures. So you could start with a two hour adventure, a lot easier to prepare. Um, and you know, we can talk about prep later, but you know you get you get you you kind of set that up. And then what I always like to keep in my mind as a DM when I'm in a new situation is people are dying to play, mm -hmm. and the limiting resource is the DM. Mm -hmm. So you are performing a service by even being a half-warm body that showed up <laughs> and let them feed off of whatever you say. If you say mm -hmm. it in the worst way possible and run the combats poorly, they will still have a good time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So all you got to do is, you know, come up from that baseline and you're just, they'll be tickled pink. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll develop over expertise over time, right? You don't, you don't need to be one of the, you know, YouTube stars, Matt Mercer, you know, Chris Birkin's first first thing. Just take mm -hmm. it easy and have fun and, and mm -hmm. it'll work. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that the advice and, and sometimes it gets criticism for being kind of too vague and too hippie of, you know, relax and have fun. But in the DM survey I did, where I did all kinds of crazy 
you know, space age algorithms to kind of read through 6,600 tips that people had provided uh, that, you know, those were two of them, right? Like yeah. relax and have fun was, was a, a very commonly uh, referenced and, and yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're dead on with the idea that like no, no one is sitting at the table to criticize you as a DM. No, no. Right. People are there because they, they're, they're, they're spending their time. They're spending their free time because they want to go and play D and D and it doesn't have to be the most perfect machine precise precise game ever they want to they want to watch their characters hit stuff with a sword they want to you know escape from reality for a little while and they want to laugh right and yeah. and throw cheetos yeah. at each other it's it's probably easy for guys like you and i to say it right with with the, you know with with the amount of experience that we've got having run games and then new you know, enrique and i talked about this in the last show a lot right the whole show was kind of devoted to it you know, kind of remembering that, that everyone's there to have a good time, I think, is a, a good empowering uh, kind of idea to hang on to when one wants to do it. And, you know, um, to, to speak to Enrique's uh, show uh, for a second, mm-hmm. um, one nice thing about organized play, right? If, if you're a new DM for a home campaign, like you kind of have to chap- run chapter one of whatever you've cooked up, hope it goes well, go on to chapter two, kind of keep hoping it goes well. Um, and you you might not know, like, you know, sort of how does this measure, like, am I, am I, you know, on target here? But one of the things you can do at a convention or even a gaming store if they're running encounters, uh, sorry, not encounters, it's no longer a used term, but if they're running a... Um, back uh, adventure the, or something? If, yeah, if they're, well, if they're running the adventures, um, the four-hour, two-hour adventures from Adventures League that you can get on the DM Guild, if they're running those in a repetitive pattern, like we're going to run, you know, 5-2 today and then we're going to run it three days from now, so you can mm-hmm. go play it one day mm-hmm. and see how someone does it. Or at a convention, sign up to play it in slot one. And right. then you can run it in slot four or three days from now at the gaming store. Yeah. And you've already seen how it plays. You've, yeah. you've yeah. felt the pacing, felt how the NPCs can come to life, how the combats can be exciting or not. Or and even improve upon you change, that. right? Yeah. You know, if you go, yeah. oh, you know, Absolutely. I like that, but I think I'd really... Maybe I'm gonna do this with it, or wouldn't it have been cool? How many times are like we went was sitting watching a movie, going, "If only this happened, right?" And you're right, like, "Well, now right. I have that chance, right? Now we can make it happen." But that's so helpful to see someone else run an adventure. Yeah. Like even you know, I've been running at conventions forever, uh, and still, you know, if I can get in on a slot zero of an adventure or play it beforehand, uh, it 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 improves my DMing for sure. So another question about kind of running organized play: Do you have any experience running organized play in Roll Twenty or online? You know, uh, I have a little bit, and I've done more so, actually not in Roll20 specifically, but online. Um, I used to do a ton for Living Forgotten Realms. I had a, a job where I was doing a lot of processing stuff, so I'd kind of hit the go button and have nothing to do till it stopped. So I would play uh, adventures online on uh, map duels mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. fourth edition, and that was super fun. I, I did a ton of that, and a couple times I ran as well. And now organized organized play is now legal on Roll20, right? Yep. So that means somebody can go, and I'm not pimping Roll20. Hey, I'm friends with Roll20 people, and one of the guys who started it is at my table. So disclaimer there. Um, but they have things, and another friend of mine, uh, in fact, the uh, uh, one of the partners with Rudy Basso of the Don't Split the Loudcast Network works on Roll20 material. You can buy published adventures there. Uh, you know, you can buy the hardback adventures and they have all the maps and everything like that. And they're AL legal. So right. you it's illegal technically... online in any format. They just make it right. easier. Like uh, when you and, and same thing with Fantasy Grounds, right? If you buy yep. Yep, yep. adventures on the uh, DMs Guild, you can get the files to run them and things right. like that. So right, right. So, so 
Yeah. So if, if people want to have that sort of organized play experience with published adventures, those are those are that playing online is an opportunity as well. If like I think a lot of people would kind of like to get into it, but they don't have local game shops or they can't, you know, conventions are expensive and, and require a fair bit of, of, of energy and effort to get to. Yeah. I think they're worth it if you can do it. Right. I mean, you and yeah. I go to a lot of conventions and I don't think we would if we didn't think that they were you know, really great experiences, but certainly that's not something everyone can do. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, preparation. What are some of the, so what are some of the experiences you've picked up preparing for organized play that you also think help DMs when they're preparing in general? Aside yeah. from some of the stuff that we talked about, like watching people play it or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually but before that, there's one one thing I want to go back to about yeah. watching watching people run uh, adventures. Another opportunity for that, and and then again, Enrique, I'm just going to sit here and talk to you about what Enrique and I talked about last time, if that's okay. Let's um, talk about Enrique. Yeah, let's talk about Enrique. Great guy. The YouTubes these days have lots of live play video of published adventures. You can go there, and I bet you you can find every one of the hardbacks. Uh, I bet you could find a stream where somebody ran it. And yeah. if somebody can't get that opportunity to go to a shop and watch someone run it, which I probably is a better experience, or certainly playing in it is probably right. a better experience, or going to a convention and watching people play it, or, or again, playing in it is a better experience. But uh, again, if that's hard to do, uh, you know, like Greg, you can go watch Greg Bilsland, you know, who worked at Watsi, run Lost Minds of Fandelver. Right. And to me, it's like, you know, and that's, again, an organized play legal adventure. So if people want to get yeah. involved in organized play... Um, they and they and they want that experience of seeing somebody run it, which I think could be a lot better than just reading the adventure itself. And yeah. was previously not anything we couldn't do that before. Now we can. Right. Uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, so besides that, uh, what are some other tips for preparing for organized play that you think also transfer over for people running their own home games? So uh, I tend to go at it. You know, I love lazy DMing. Thank plug you. In your, plug in your book. Uh, everybody should check out your book. And I think that is great for home campaigns. With organized play, one of the things that happens is, is people are sort of signing up to have the experience. Mm -hmm. So if I take a particular adventure, you know, it has a plot to it, it has encounters in it, and it has a duration. And people want to hit those things in that duration. And they mm -hmm. want to feel like they came out with a true experience of it. Mm -hmm. So while you have the latitude, the adventure does, and then the program of Adventures League gives you the latitude to make changes, they want to have a representative experience. Mm -hmm. right? a, share, a shared experience. Well, yeah, and, and, and that too. So that when you go to another table, you can say, well, you know, I did the following thing in this adventure. Oh, yeah, that was awesome, right? Like you, that common, uh, it's a lingua franca that you're creating. Um, so, so I, I'm much more organized than lazy when it comes to those adventures. Uh, what I do is I'll read over an adventure. Uh, usually while I do some exercise, like a bike or something, that's great. Just like kind of just reading through it. And then I'll go back and read it again and highlight and draw in notes, um, underline stat block things that matter. Uh, spells, I hate the way 5th edition spells are, you know, so look up intensive many times. So I'll make notes. So I don't have to look anything up for spells. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes a few notes about monsters. And that's just kind of the semantic stuff. So, you know, like I've got a binder here. It's mm -hmm. my, uh, my three-ring binder that I'll put an adventure into. And so, like, this awesome adventure, uh, Forgotten Traditions, is super dope. Mm -hmm. Written by one of the admins, Travis Woodall. And mm -hmm. so I'll go in and I'll, you know, make all sorts of notes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I will um, I, I separate it with colored you know, dividers, and I'll make notes, which I'm not going to show too much because of spoilers, but, you know, like I've highlighted, 
where certain things are. Uh, this adventure gives you a lot of choices as a DM. Like you can use encounter A or B or C or D in a particular mm -hmm. room. So I made my preferences there. And then in case someone has already played it, and I'll swap it out. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll do that kind of approach to it um, when I'm running an, an adventure, right? Mm -hmm. And and that that is really very helpful. The mm -hmm. other thing I look at that I think is really critical is, you know, you've got a limited amount of time, but you want it to feel like a personal experience. Mm -hmm. So I often want a very strong start in terms... Oh, and the other thing is I want a game that's role-playing heavy. Mm -hmm. So I want your character backstory to matter uh, and to you feel for you to feel like it mattered. But then mm -hmm. I want to... Uh, also encourage you to, to be descriptive and evocative around the, the role-playing scenes. So I will do something, if the, if the adventure doesn't, if the adventure has something that could do that, then I'll try to heighten it. If it doesn't have it, I will try to add something. So Forgotten Traditions has sort of the, like, you get a message from this character, this NPC heading you there. So one of the things I did is I said, uh, for character introductions, tell me where you are when you receive this note and and why that ties into who your character is. So then they kind of thought like, well, you know, I guess I'm in my library because I'm, you know, this wizard that cares about lore. But what's interesting is the following, right? Um, and the second thing I did is in this adventure, they have to buy cold weather gear because they're heading up to these mm -hmm. frozen lands. So I, you know, the module just says like, you know, if they don't have it, buy it. Well, so I created a little scene where they're at a merchant, you know, they start the adventure together in front of this merchant buying their cold weather gear and he you know states the price and then says you don't want to buy for my brother you want to buy for me <laughs> so now of course they bite and they go well why? who's the brother and mm -hmm. that's an opportunity for their characters to come out right like if you're more lawful or more chaotic or you know super about this that and the other uh you care about commerce or and you know like one person tried to steal a coat mm -hmm. that didn't go well <laughs> uh, but so that kind of thing. And in fact, if I was if, wearing this when I came in, if there's a need for it, then I would add the sister. Right. So there was three right. siblings. Uh, and so then the sisters over, you know, the, the other brother goes like, well, you know, don't buy for my sister. And they all have the same price, by the way. <laughs> right. That's the price in the adventures. I'm not going to change that. Uh, but that but it's just a, it's just a way to create. Right. Get them all talking and interacting with one another. Right. And so I, so I look for that kind of thing. Uh, with monsters, I want to run them well. I want to do honor to the adventure writer who probably, you know, cooked these up for a reason. They should be cool and do their 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 tricks. I want to I want to make that happen. So I so I I try to honor that by by giving the players a good fight uh, as the adventure intends. Sometimes it's an easy fight, but it's a cool fight, right? So I want I want to have that happen. And uh, the biggest thing is pacing, right? So I want a D and D game to feel a little bit like a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've watched the two shows that Community did, especially the second yeah, one, right. mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's funny how they do it. They have the DM role for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, which in then engages this narrative of like constantly telling players what's happening. But he does it so quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do a little bit of that when I'm preparing to think, how can I make this kind of be a cool pacing feel? fast and interesting and, and neat and then know when to slow down and all right let people explore or whatever mm -hmm. but then let's get back to the the cool mm -hmm. movie like feel mm -hmm. yeah on uh on your, your your discussion about role playing and and kind of finding out what makes the characters uh tick uh we had a dm at winter fantasy for one of the epics and um you know in my experience with organized play dms they often ask you for like the base stats of your guy like what's your <laughs> character's name 
class, race, background, passive perception, passive insight, and sort of these other statistics, which is funny because as a DM, I never pay any attention to any of that. So I don't know why. I don't know why people ask. Passive, passive the, the, the perception insight, I generally don't. Yeah. Um, and I barely even acknowledge that there's other people at the table. So, um, but one one uh, woman that we had that ran it, and uh, she ran a really great game. And one of the things she said, like, "What's your, you know, give me a give me an odd thing about your character? What's let, like, what's your character about? Like, yeah. you know, tell me something unique about your character. Almost like Thirteenth Age, right? What was the unique right. thing? And I was like, well, my character's wanted for a murder he may or may not have committed in Waterdeep, right? And she's like, oh, yeah. you know, she wrote that down, and she kind of did it for everybody. And this was for an epic, so everything was like yeah. super. Super fast, super rigid, and but she still asked that question. I don't know if they, I don't know if they all got into play, but but the fact that she kind of broke out of the, the the basic like what's your passive perception and passive insight and asks like what's the you know what's the one unique you know I'm, again I'm ripping off Thirteenth Age here and it wasn't quite what right. she asked but what's the one unique thing of of uh, her character? Um, we've hit the okay. thirty minute mark, but there was one thing I wanted to do. Uh, which is I wanted uh, you and I to compare our DM kits. You mm. know, when we're on the go and we're off at a shop, what are the things that we grab uh, and, that, and that we have in our DM go bag? Cool. Uh, so uh, I'll go first because I'm more interested in yours and I'd like to end with yours. Uh, I have my big plastic folder that I carry around. It's pretty lightweight. It's, it, it fits into a backpack. Um, and this is what I take when I go to my Sunday organized play game at my local game shop. Uh, and I usually keep one of these for every campaign I'm running. So if I like, if I have two ongoing games, I have another one for the other one. And, and so uh, what's in that notes? So all kinds of stuff. I'll go through it real quick. Okay. So, uh, I've got, you know, my dice from easy roller dice, a Sly Flourish sponsor. These are really nice metal dice. Um, this is probably my number one favorite tool. This is the Paizo flip mat. And the funny thing is I rarely use it for gridded combat. Uh, I just like to have a whiteboard in front of me that I can write on. Huh. And what I like about this one is it folds up super lightweight and it's and you can write on it with dry erase. Uh, I've got like character miniatures for, for PCs that I keep in. I keep a lot of Ziploc bags because they collapse easy. Pens and pencils and dry erase markers. So this is kind of neat. And I think you saw this when I was out there. So this doesn't look like much, right? But this is about 200 miniatures. Uh, from a place called Flat Plastic Miniatures. Arc Knight Games is the, the company that makes them, the, the group that makes them. They had a Kickstarter. And um, what it is, I, in this one, it's a business card holder that I opened up. And each, I can't really, if I turn it, they're all going to fall. But about, it's about eight sections. And each section has a different type of mini. And these are super flat miniatures. And no, they're, all, they're all super lightweight. And they have stands. So they stand up like a regular miniature. And they work really well. And again, they're super, it's like perfect for a go bag. You know I mean? I think like me, and given the array of, of dragons you have behind you, we have a lot of minis. In fact, I know you're a big mini collector, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's kind of nice, but it's hard to carry all those minis around everywhere you go. I presume when you're prepping a game, do you go and dig out all the minis that fit that game or? Yeah. In fact, uh, it's it's too bad I can't carry this camera around. I'd show everybody what I use. But, uh, but I bought recently, I totally changed up my thing. So I have now... A very a set of cabinets, plastic cabinets with drawers that I put everything into by type, and it's you know as tall right. as I am. Uh, yeah. And then I have a bunch of um, 
of uh, things like this. This will be a combination of player minis. So if nobody has a mini, they can choose from it. And that's a lot mm -hmm. of what you, you know, if you can see any of them in here, that's what that is. Uh, and then mm -hmm. I'll have some like tokeny type things like, you know, indicators for a zone and stuff like that. Uh, right. There's a thing that can be used as a torch who's carrying the torch, which comes from Litco. That's awesome. Um, the other things I have, so this is always very critical, the uh, table tent. Yeah, I didn't get to show those, but you showed me these, right? Like, yeah, I got... yeah. Yeah, you were the one that showed me that, and I think it was at the convention where we played Keep of the Borderlands, and yeah, I was yeah. using another initiative card system that I didn't like nearly as much. And and I'm like, this is perfect. You know, just throw the numbers around the table. Everybody can see what the people's initiative are, and yeah, it costs this, like you know forty cents. The same genius who came up with uh, Boshik of Asmecadome came up with that system, and we <laughs> would use it because in Living Greyhawk you'd play these like interactive events that are super awesome. And it, really, you wanted to be ready to go, 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 right? So we would do them when, when, when a play, when a DM was running an adventure for us. We would deploy those so we knew when to go, so that we were on on point, right? So it wasn't like, well, whose turn is it? Or and I think you know we played the epic, right? And one time a yep. player skipped one of us. We go, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. This is a very non-sexy folder, but it, it has <laughs> the DM rewards. So yeah. Adventures League lets you yeah, cross yeah. things off when you do various things. My guys so OP because of those rewards. They're, they're kind of broken. Uh, and then, of course, you got to bring your own characters because, yeah. you know, DM's got to play too, and sometimes that happens. Yeah. Uh, and then I have, I never use them, but I do have some, like, shortcut you know, cheat sheet things and lookups yeah. and stuff. But I, I honestly, I just, if I can't make it up, I mean, what's the point of looking something up? But I do bring those around. Um, for battle maps, I'll bring a Chessex battle map, just one of those old vinyl tubes. Uh, yep. It folds in luggage even, or it can even wrap around a backpack uh, uh, and strap on very lightly. And then you just use, you know, wet erase um, uh, pens. I'm perfectly happy with those and drawing on it. If I'm doing things at, at uh, home, organized play at home, then I'll go more theatrical. I've got wooden blocks to prop things up. You know, oh, yeah. I've got all kinds of terrain I own that I use, Dwarven Forge, all sorts of yeah. stuff. So depending on the portability, I'll do that. I mean, I've run enormous castles for cool organized play things mm -hmm. at stores that are local, but mm -hmm. it just varies on what I'm doing. But that's the mm -hmm. basic bit. Yeah, the one the one last thing I'll share is the cheat sheet that um, Eric Nowak designed as part of my Fantastic Locations Kickstarter, uh, which uh, what I what I like about it is so it's got all the information. It, it basically has everything that's on the DM screen, but in like a four inch section in abbreviated terms, but just enough that I go, oh, what's blind again? Oh, blind is attack attack against advantage. Attacks are at disadvantage. Uh, it also has a bunch of random names on it because I suck generating names. Uh, but the other important part is that I can write down, it's a piece of paper, right? And I can carry a few of these and I'll write down all of the characters and all the players and little bits about them, that same stuff that we talked about, including what's their motivation, what's their goal, what do they do? And what I like about it is it becomes an artifact that I keep. So like I can look back a few That's years cool. and go, oh, that was that game with that yeah. one funny character and I can pull yeah. out the sheet and kind of remember it. So I, I, really, uh... I really... Yeah. I do something like that during the game where I'll write uh, the name of each. So, you know, if you usually you're at a round table, uh, yeah. whatever the shape of the table is, uh, on a piece of paper, I will write down each character name and mm -hmm. something I want to know about them. Just scribble very right. quickly. It might be faction if faction matters, things like that. Uh, and then I will uh, feed off of that during the adventure. I don't, I don't keep the notes like you do, but I, I you know, it's a good way to track it. Um, one thing also that I didn't mention, but is really good is, um, to give people index cards to write their character name yep. on it. So yeah. they will call each other in, uh, yeah, right. 
right? In character, that's really big. Uh, then yeah. a dice bag with lots of dice. It doesn't matter at Winter Fantasy where it's almost entirely hardcore people. Right. Um, but at Origins, at PAX, there are so many, you know, I think half of it my tables... sat down to play. Right? Nobody has dice, right? Yeah. Like, it's really kind Nothing. of funny. Yeah, people, no pencils, no dice, no characters. The other thing I carry is I have a full set of the pregens from Fandelver um, because they go from level one to five, so I can play a range. And if anybody, and they're AL legal, I think. So if I anybody to wants that to stores. play, you yeah. can just, you know, here you go. Here's your, you want a level two cleric? You got a level two cleric. You're good to go. Yeah, you know, and on the Going Last website, I uh, I posted on their site, um, they have pregens for, or uh, table tents for character tents for all of those pregens. Ah, cool. With a space for your name. It has like a picture of both male and female and then right. a space of a name that's for each of those classes that comes in that starter kit because I found that I had I, I wanted to make those for players who would show up, right? And be like, oh, here's you know, you're this cool dwarf. Yeah, and, right. Really brings them in, mm -hmm. especially if it's their first time. So we uh I, I totally failed in my duty of stopping at the half hour to have a half hour of questions, but we will we will we will press on. Uh Alex, do you have questions? So yeah, I got, we got some questions from the chat. Thanks everyone for asking. Awesome. So I'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, here's the first from MJS October. Uh, how can we encourage our friendly local gaming stores to support Adventurers League? Where I live in Canada, none of the local stores have any Adventure League's games, and they don't seem interested. So a couple things. You know, one is uh, gaming stores have a program called the WPN. Uh, this Windows Play Network, and they get points for running Magic the Gathering and other things. Uh, and that includes D&D Organized Play. So when they run Organized Play, they get points towards that system, which makes them a premier store, which lets them sell books earlier and beat out Amazon, right? So Volo shows up there first, and there can even be the special, you know, print version that... Uh, that, that you can get, and so they're, they're incentivized. They also have things like the adventure in Volo's Wake, which was a special adventure now available in the DM's Guild, was sent to them early, which can be, all these things can be draws for the store. Um, also take a look at the Adventurers League website that I was talking about before earlier, where people like Lauren Blanco are talking about why you want to do this as a store, uh, why it's worthwhile. But a big part that I do, because I would often travel for work and start up, you know, games at stores that weren't doing anything. And I would just go and say, hey, look, like I'm looking to, you know, find a point in time when you've got space in your store. You give me one table. I'm going to help you recruit people. We'll put up signs. We'll get people into your store and we'll encourage them to be a part of the store. So and you can do that a number of ways. Like one of them that's really simple is saying uh, when someone sits down to play. They either have to pay the store some amount, you know, real money, Canadian dollars, uh, or they can purchase something mm -hmm. and then they don't have to pay, right? If, if it's worth at least that amount. So, so that people are customers. Because when Magic the Gathering, when you sit down to play Magic, you pay. Yeah, every they're shelling, time. Out, shelling out a and fair amount too. Everybody's used to that and it's great for a store, right? Uh, so this lets the D&D &D side kind of share in on that. So those are kind of different approaches, but again, just work with the store, explain with, uh, to them. Um, there's also, uh, through the ambassadors program of the Herald's Guild, um, there are now uh, groups that can help you in your region to coordinate support for stores and, and talk to stores. Mm -hmm. That's being set up now. 
Yeah, I, my, my experience has been that some stores are very active and mostly it's, it's you know, whoever's running the shop, right? If they love D&D, then they're really active to help D&D. Uh, and if they're not, then, you know, they'll be like, sure, you can have a table, you know, if you want to sit in the back and play. And then, so I, I've seen different ranges. I don't, I don't think I've seen any that are like, you know, screw you, we, there's no D&D to our place. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the, the sort of unwritten, I don't even, it's probably written and spoken is that magic is where the money's coming from. Sure. And, you know, we, we RPG people just aren't, I mean, I buy all of the D&D books that come out at my FLGS and that's like $150 a year or something like right. that. It's really not a lot for, you know, yeah. weekly get 52 games for four hours each. So um, that's to keep in mind. The other thing is there are people who want to play organized play. Either they don't have an FLGS, either it's not friendly or it's not there at all. Uh, and again, if they want to get involved in organized play, I think looking into it on on something like Roll20. I know a lot of yeah. people would prefer to play at a table with real people. So, but you can also, you know, any public location will do. Um, so you can, or any publicly invited thing will will fulfill the public side of things. But you can even play at home, right? So you can you can right. run at home. Uh, you can run at a bookstore, at a coffee shop. You can run at your school, at a library. You know, you name it. Um, there are lots of ways to do it. And so if your stores aren't biting, you can find some other place, right? Find a coffee shop. Uh, mm -hmm. I know someone, I forget where they are, but they run a coffee shop slash gaming stories. It's hilarious to watch people have several espressos while playing D&D. <laughs> Critical so, hit! Good luck. I mean, it can take time. I remember yeah, one time in easy. Houston, yeah. it took me two solid months to build up a group, but then that group ran for years. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, in general, even even stepping outside of organized play, a, a, a philosophy that I've had is by far the hardest part of D&D is getting a group to sit down at a table and play. Like, if you could do that, the rest of all this other nonsense that we always talk about, about rules and about, you know, the balance of encounters and all this stuff is nonsense compared to how do I just get... You know, and for yeah. people, you know, for me, it's never hard to find a DM, you know, for people who don't want a DM, yeah, finding a DM, fine. finding a group can, is, is by far the hardest part. And it, and it has, it's gotten, maybe it's gotten better. I'm not even sure, but it, it, it's, it's always a tough problem. The other thing I'd say is, is if you play, if, if your goal is to play, you know, be prepared that you have to do some work. Like if everybody wants to play, well, that's not going to work out, right? So if you're the one who's motivated and interested, then you've got to lead and set the example. Run a really nice, good, clean program at a store. And hey, while you're at it, recruit people. So back with the first season of organized play in stores of D&D, what was then D&D Encounters, um, I was running this adventure and there were two guys at my table who were just super awesome. Like they're, you know, my minotaur rushes forward and... So at the end of it, I'm like, would you guys like to DM? It was their, I think it was like their second time playing D&D. And they're like, yeah, yeah, how do I DM? And we're like, all right, let's get you started. And those guys went on to actually DM for D&D &D people at a convention. It was hilarious. Like, they were like, we're doing everything. Like, you know, but mm -hmm. that's how it, how it can work, right? You just identify those people who are motivated at your table and say, hey, why don't you guys take a turn? Right. Hey, Alex, what are the questions you got? Oh no, Calden wants to know, how has being an organized play player and dungeon master helped you with your game design? Oh, good question. Uh, tons, tons, because what you get to see is, um, and a lot of times an adventure is a, a variation on a theme, right? So like uh, jungle exploration or a trek through the wilderness. And, and we might go like, how do I make a trek through the wilderness interesting? And then you're running an adventure, you go, oh, wow, that was really cool. Um, 
I'm going to be ripping that off. <laughs> you know? uh, I'm going to feed off of that. I'm going to take these ideas and, and, and add my own twist to it. Um, how, you know, where do you place a trap in a room to create a certain type of situation? There's, there's just countless ways that in organized play, uh, you learn these kinds of lessons. And, and like I was saying before, right, it, it's, it, it's the most creative thing is seeing how these masters of the game have done things. Uh, one of my favorites is I, a, a guy I really like named Steve Pierce. He used to say, uh, a great D&D adventure, not a good, but a great D&D adventure, teaches you something about your character. Mm-hmm. Right, this is for you, the player. And I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, all right, yeah. Like When I think of my favorite adventures, they're ones where like I kind of had to go out and, and, and take a stand on something, right? Um, and there was a great adventure once that had kind of these three choices of what do you do with these bound souls that have been protecting this kingdom? Do you just free them? Do you launch them at the enemy and then they're going to die? Right? They don't get to be freed. Do you keep them here because they protect our southern border? Like, what do you do? Right? And we all started having these in-character, really visceral reactions around what to do. And so then I was like, all right, you know, whenever it comes to make choices, like I'm going to be thinking about this encounter and how to how to play off of that, whether it's a home campaign or my own writing. You know, a lot of what I do comes off from those experiences in organized play and, and my desire to, to, to feed off of those cool experiences I've had. Yeah, I'd, I'd say some of some of, you know, I've, I've, I've only written a few organized play adventures. And um, in, in some cases, I'm not I'm not, you know, I always like to kind of look at something and say, well, this, this idea came from that. I'm not sure it's a great idea. It kind of works sometimes, but I'm willing to throw it away if it turns out it's, it's not very good. And that was sort of an adventure template, you know, and this is from playing adventures. I kind of saw what's the pace that seems to work right for a four-hour game among organized play people. And it was like, the faster you can get to that first battle, the better, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and, yeah. and the problem is it's like, you're almost always going to get jumped in one of my adventures, right? Like, it's almost always the first thing that happens is like, oh my God, we're in a fight. And and the thing is like, I just like to wake people up, right? Like I've seen yeah. too many adventures where it's like 20 minutes of narrative and then a little bit of role playing and then and players are just like, you know, sitting yeah. back and surfing their phones. And it's like, if I could just get them like, oh my God, trolls, you know, being attacked by right. trolls. And that's um, the thing, right? Like investigation or narrative um, that are, that, that, that are evocative, right? Yeah. Uh, there are there are people who have figured that out, and so you want to emulate those things so that the scenes are always cool. You know, you're you're investigating, and finding the lore is not boring, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. that's always a key. Yeah. So like, uh, Drown Tower was one of the organized play ones I did for I think season three, season two, or season three. Season two, yeah. Elemental, right? Two, Mel- yeah, a Mole Master, right? And um, that template was, you know, you get jumped, you talk to some folks, you do some investigations. You go to a dungeon, and then it's like you fight a bunch of monsters in the dungeon. You fight a boss, and that that structure, you know, works. I've I've now built so many adventures using the same general structure, and I like it because it kind of has all the D and D stuff in it, right? It's yeah. got your fights, it's got boss fights, it's got yeah. exploration, it's got role playing opportunities, it's got a dungeon, you know, and it all yeah. it all sort of works. But well, but I I, off, I also think that sometimes I'm binding myself too closely to that template, and that you know it it's it's it lacks creativity. I mean, you know, uh, so you can always change it up. It's just a risk, kind of like you were saying, right? Like it might fail. So one of the things that I've done a lot uh, probably the last two years is my adventures have been more departures from that and tended to be very complicated and required a lot out of the DM. Uh, When run well, they were, I think, really cool, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so people who, who, who loved them really loved them. But I knew designing them that some people would go, this is a lot. I want to just, you know, like I, I had to run it cold or something like that. Then it's going to be hard for those folks. But that was my decision to kind of break out of the mold and do something very unusual that would require this work from the DM. But in exchange for hopefully a very, um, like a, a sort of unique experience, right? right? So there's always that cost when you you move away from, say, the three-act structure, right? Or those kinds of the typical beats that an adventure has. Um, then you've got to think it through and you got to know that some it's not going to resonate sometimes or will even fail sometimes. And that's okay. That's worth doing, I think. Alex, what else you got? All right, so here's one from Ludetus. Uh, how do you... Oh, no. Uh, it's uh, about Vorpal Swords. No. This, it's <laughs> okay. about loot. Uh, how do you feel about Dungeon yeah. Masters earning loot for their Adventurers League characters? <laughs> oh, that's, that's actually a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm um, shocked. I'm shocked I got a good question from him. It almost always is about Vorpal Swords. He's a so, uh, pretty, yeah, he's a player in my uh, Wednesday game, by the way. Good friend. I th okay. I, I think overall I, it's a good call, right? I think that it's generally, um, I think the DM rewards that we have, and especially the ones that give loot, are coveted by players and certainly are strong incentives for you to be DMing. Same thing with the leveling up a character, right? People who DM a lot for Adventures League, in case you don't know, um, can check off these boxes and various accomplishments, and they can cash in a bunch of experience points uh, to level a character. So, like, you know, Mike was playing a, game, a character at a convention that he basically fabricated from a low level because he had all these rewards. And it's a cool way to say, hey, you DM a ton, here's your benefit, right? Or I have a character that could choose an item from anything I've ever run. So out of all the things I've run, I could choose an item for their tier, and they have it. And it's awesome, right? Um, it is a bit too strong, but I guess I can live with it. So it's both things. I, you know, if it were up to me, I'd probably tone it down a bit, but I'm not complaining loudly over it because, again, I think it's a super good incentive to say, hey, DMs, keep DMing, right? Yeah. And feel I, good I, and special. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, for a long time, there wasn't any loot, right? Like you could, you, you got experience and it was not a lot of experience for, 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 mm -hmm. you know, uh, for DMing stuff. And then I think when they started doing the DM rewards, it kind of went from famine to feast. And right before, you know, I didn't even pay attention to it. And then right before Winter Fantasy, I'm like, oh, you know, I ought to tally up all the adventures I ran. And I'm like, I can make a level 10 character with like a rare item, with like a rare item and an uncommon item that's from scratch. Yeah. You know, should I really be able to play tier three with any magic item? That I ran, and so like I had a character that, that you saw, my 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 war cleric, and the thing is like I, I think my, I felt like the war cleric is already pretty underpowered compared to like light cleric and, uh -huh. and storm sure. cleric, but when I was able to give him a belt of of hill giant strength, right, from an adventure I ran a while ago, now he's actually pretty effective, you know, because yeah. now his wisdom strength are are both pretty high, and I was like, should I, you know that doesn't feel right. Like you know, the fact that I could pick a belt, it'd be one thing if I got like a plus one item, you know, or a plus one suit. And it's something else when it's like, well, no, I got this giant list of, you know, yeah. loot that I can pick. So, you know, I, the, I, the AL people spend far more time thinking about this kind of stuff than I do. They'll figure it out as far as I'm concerned. In the meantime, I'm, I'm just happy yeah. to keep playing. And, and I've pushed in the past. And when we didn't have those programs, I was one of the people pushing for, better rewards for judges like i mean in living greyhawk if you ran an adventure you couldn't play it you know it was it was sort of the reverse of of uh incentive it was sort of a de-incentive right yeah um, right 
and other organized play campaigns like Living Spycraft have experimented with benefits and, and, and now Adventures League. And I think that's the right thing to do. One thing that's constant in organized play is change. So whatever you're seeing now, you know, it'll be tweaked. It'll be refined. It, it always changes over time. Mm-hmm. Alex, what else you got? All right. So from MJS some- October, how many new players are you seeing compared to experienced players? That's a good question. Mm. Really varies by convention um, and by store, uh, you know, the kind of program that's going on. So at uh, when I'm, like I think I said kind of earlier, like at Origins and PAX, half the people can be new. In fact, at PAX, it can be all of everybody that's new. Or everybody is new or like a returning player that's like, I played 2E and I want to get mm-hmm. back in. Um, that's very common at PAX uh, because it's a video game type convention. And so people are kind of like, you know what I want to do is I want to try this for the first time I'm here with my spouse, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but then at Winter Fantasy, everybody's, you know, old hat. So it depends by the convention. Gaming stores can have a lot of changeover and is kind of that blew my mind when I first started with that. So when I ran the I organized for our store the later half of the first season and I think the second season, the Dark Sun season. And during that time, I I came in with the expectation that I knew every player in Portland, which is dumb. But I was just so used to seeing the same crew at these Living Greyhawk games and early Living Forgotten Realms games that I just assumed that because I saw the same people all the time, that's who it was. And I only had three people during this time period that I knew show up, that I knew, you know, as 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 Forgotten Realm organized play people. Uh, and I had over 350 unique players during that time span, right? Which is, I didn't know there were that many players. I wouldn't have guessed there were that many active D&D players in Portland. Like, that blew my mind. Uh, so there are tons, right? Oh, the, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that's one out of seven stores running in the Portland area. <laughs> so you can imagine how many people are actually playing that are new or casual or, you know, just coming in and out of the game. There's a ton. I think my, my circles are small enough that I, I tend not to see, I see new players that play D and D. Usually I have like coworkers and stuff like that. It was amazing, right? We had a white Christmas, you know, white elephant Christmas gift exchange. And I brought a DM starter kit, D and D starter kit, which I bring every year. And everybody knows it's me because I'm pretty loud about my my hobby at work. And it got passed around a lot. Like people kept stealing wow. it from everyone else. I'm like, man, I'd have brought four of these. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd have brought extras. Yeah. I want, everybody who wants one will get one. I will buy. I will buy it. Right. I'll pay for it. Awesome. And um, yeah, and it was a bunch of people that had never played before, but you know, had seen it or heard about it or heard me talking about it or or something. And and it's you know middle aged folks and young folks and and a bunch of different folks. So. Um, at the organized play here in here in Northern Virginia, I tend to see a lot of the same folks play, and and they've you know like my my group is an organized play group, but it's the same six players you know and has been for for a long time. So, um, but but a few of those were new you know had, had new 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 players when they started. Alex, what else you got? All right, so Rudy keeps bugging me to ask this. Uh, Vault of the Draco Witch is so great. Can you make another? Can we make another? We probably could. Yeah. <laughs> we, we would love to. It's really, honestly, uh, if, if not my favorite project, it's definitely up yeah. there because yeah. it, we had such a good synergy. We would have, oh, uh, okay. you know, between the three of us, a Scott of Grey, uh, we would like have these meetings and it'd be like great ideas. And then Mike would, whatever we said, Mike would do it that night, which was always unbelievable. <laughs> 
and I would be almost as punctual. I, I am I am a procrastinator, but I do all my procrastination up front. <laughs> that's that's my that's my uh-huh. shtick, right? I start yeah. procrastinating the day I get a project, and and um, yeah. yeah, that was it, putting that together, and and that was sort of an experiment for Watsi. And I don't know if they kept doing that. Did they do that with you with other projects, Tails? I, I think Candlekeep was a, a similar situation. They aren't doing a whole lot of of that kind of work, though. I will say that with the D and D Open, it was similar, right? So yeah. I, I wrote last year's D and D Open. I don't think it's been announced who's working on this year's. Uh, but with last year's D and D Open, it was Sean Merwin and Sean Molly and myself, and we did a bit of that. We didn't quite have the you know weekly conference call organization that I think worked really well. Um, but we did have we do have you know we'd have the phone calls, we'd have the uh, Dropbox working, mm-hmm. and and that was. Yeah, really good stuff. Really good way to create. Super fun when you when you hit the a nice rhythm like that. Uh, it would be really fun to do that again for Wizards. Yeah, and and this is one where you know, like I tend I tend to not work on projects that that same way. You know, I work on projects with other with other people, but a lot of times we're all kind of at different stages, working in a in series rather than working all together in parallel. Although Scott Gray and I now work together all the time. Like Scott. Scott mm-hmm. and I both worked on fantastic locations together. Uh, working, we're working on my new project together. Uh, he had a very fun moment. What's he that called me, again? Uh, fantastic Adventures. No, the the new project. That is the new project. Oh, it is Fantastic yeah. Adventures. Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it will want, it will soon be a thing. I it awesome. is it is on its way to a thing. Yeah, it's it's short short two hour ish adventures built around locations and. Uh, in, intended to be like you know why don't we have a my question is why don't we have a full book of fandelvers right i love fandelver yeah. why don't we have a whole bunch of those and and i want to make so i'm making a bunch of those it's also a totally different kind of adventure design than than the typical the typical thing so we'll see you'll you will see it my friend i'm so, looking forward to it yeah you will see it early because i need i need the advice Good. uh anyway so scott and i um have have uh scott it was a funny situation where actually i i emailed scott saying hey i've got this thing and i, I really like like your help on it can you help me out and he says well i'm busy with another project right now oh that's for you too and it was something <laughs> i said to wizards of the coast that they sent to him so he's like god i can't get away from you uh-huh. um but that, Good. yeah, so so that, you know, when you and I and Scott worked on that and, and having those sort of weekly meetings where he talked about it. And one thing that that you taught me in that, that that really was profound, because I tend to just want to boil everything down all the time. You know, I told you about my adventure outline where it's like, look, it's fight, explore, you know, fight, talk to people, investigate stuff, dungeon, fight, fight, boss. Right. Like that's, you know. And 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 I always trying to like simplify things down and keep it to you know boil it down and and you really brought this idea of like no things need to be complicated like they're not <laughs> you know it's not fun if it's you know, everybody knows what it is and if they can figure it out with one skill check it needs to be deeper you know it has needs to have layers to it mm-hmm. and and I was like you know yeah yeah that's right you know so that was that was and and we 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 did that I remember in fact figuring out how the hell that last fight worked in right. Vault was I kept wondering like no we got to reduce it down to like destroy a crystal you destroy a crystal and everything's fine and you're like oh it can't be that way or like how the dracolich shows up right yeah, i just wanted to yeah. sort of warp in and breathe and then warp away and it's like no he's got to be a real dracolich so that was great one of my one of my proudest my proudest moments was getting the fifth edition dungeon master's guide and opening the back and seeing the map in there from vault of the dracolich is one of their example yeah. maps and That's i was like great. i remember when that like i sketched out that piece of shit on a whiteboard and it and i have it it's like the ugliest map on earth and I'm like, but if you if you hold them side by side, you can kind of see that it's there. Yeah, and Scott yeah. Gray was the one. Yeah, Scott Gray was the one who actually took my my shitty whiteboard version. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's so great. 
And uh, he took my shitty whiteboard vision and turned it into one that, like, was actually something we could send to Wizards to be like, you know, Mike Schley right. needs to put this together. Yeah, so. I had something similar with, uh, have this around, this is from uh, uh, Candlekeep. Oh, yeah, look at that. And you should see the, because I mean, you, you make, you're like a Michelangelo compared to what I do when I draw on pieces of paper to show people what I want yep. an adventure to happen. And, uh, no, but that's how bad I am. And so... I feel bad when I hand some things in, but then like this amazing stuff comes out and it's like, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. When you get a pro map artist, they're, they're amazing. You know, and that was mm -hmm. great. Uh, do we want to, do you have time for one more question? All right, Alex, All right, one so last question. Here's one from Johnny Utah 99. It's what do I do if I have two or more player characters uh, in my group starting begin fighting each other? How do you guys deal with that? Uh, oh, what do you do? Teos? Well, so, uh, there, there is a rule in organized play, which is a good rule, that you cannot do that unless the other person says yes. <laughs> it's but like, an, I, like an so, MMO. You have to both flag up. Right. So, so yeah. So, like, for example, if you're casting Fireball, right, is the typical thing that this would happen in third edition organized play where someone would say, like, I'm going to put Fireball, or actually it happened earlier, too. I'm going to put Fireball, and I'm sorry you're in it, you know, but it's worth it. And the character might go, like, it's not worth it. I might die. And you're like, well, sorry, that's what my character does. Oh. Right. And that would create really bad feelings at the table for obvious reasons, particularly when you die. So, uh, you know, it was an unofficial rule. Now it's an official rule that you have to get permission. So anything that would cause harm to another character, um, you need to bless it. The, the, the character that's being impacted needs to bless it. So in theory, they cannot fight each other unless they both want to fight each other. If they both want to fight each other and nobody else wants to see that happen, um, then I would say you want to take the players aside and kind of say like, hey... I can give you a spotlight, right? Like I could create an arena scene or something like that where you guys get to do this um, with some, you know, fictitious rules or whatever that'll that'll make this work to, to give you, if this is something fun for you. But I want you to, to be aware that, you know, it's not fun in the same way for all the other players. And, and it's not something we want to see happen week after week because because it will, it will, it will drag down uh, play for everybody else. And I would be open about about it with them. So I always find that it's better to, like in love and relationships and family matters and anything, the more that you can be upfront and explain how people feel, uh, the better it is. And if you need to, you know, maybe like after a session ends, talk to some of the other players. Make sure they're on your side. But yeah, if, if you have that feeling that only these two people are enjoying it, then I would say to them, you know, that's that's not what we're looking for. And then kind of, you know, what are you after? What are you missing, right? That's causing this behavior. Is there some way I can make the game more appealing that won't involve this and drag away? Because you guys are spotlighting this stuff over here that nobody wants to be a part of. I wouldn't say those words, but you know, that's what's happening, right? They're, they're doing a thing over here that detracts from the adventure that you're trying to run, your experience as a DM, from what the other players want to do. So what, what is it you want out of the game? And maybe there's a way I can give that to you, um, you know, that isn't this, because this is not good. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's there are there are a few situations. I tend to try to like stay in game and in character as much as I can, uh, but there are a few situations where it's really worth stepping outside of you know stepping out of character and having conversations. And often, it's, if you if if one has the chance, doing it before anything's even started, like doing it you know before people have really made characters, do it before you know if you're if you're yeah. running sort of a campaign. Harder to do with organized play where everybody sits down at the table, drops their tickets, and everyone starts going. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, and 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 somebody I just saw mentioned it in the chat, which is you know saying to everybody like your character needs to have a solid reason to be you know to be working with all the other characters, right? Like yeah. I've I've had I had a player at an organized play game um, at a, at a game shop and you know younger younger guy and uh, I don't think he played a lot of D&D. Who's like I don't know why my character's with you guys. Like he's gonna go off and do this other thing. And I and I had to stop the game and say your character need you know. You know, and it took like a few back and forth. I was like, your character needs to have a reason to work with the rest of the group. He's like, well, yeah. my character doesn't. And I'm like, you're not hearing me. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't care what you think your character has. And it's up to you to, to, to kind of wire your character in so that, you know, you're, you're being thing, with the group. One thing I do with that situation, it could maybe work in this fighting thing, too, is um, so I had I have run a kid's game. And, and I encourage you, if you can, to run a kid's game because it is hilarious how they operate. And it does teach you new skills that apply to troublemakers. They're often uh, way more creative. <laughs> oh, they are. But, uh, you know, so, so and I can tell so many stories. But one of them was, you know, she go there, there was like a some guys ran away. And, and it was to any player that I think knows, you know, gets it, has, has some experience. They're gone, right? But she insisted on my character is going to follow them. So I was like, okay. And, you know, the other character, the other players know she's prone to these kinds of things. So they said, um, uh, no, don't do that. You know, come on, don't do this. And I said, no, no, it's fine. She, she runs off after them. And they're like, so, and I said, but back here. And then we went right back to what we were doing, right? So she just exited the scene. And then at the very end, when we were done with everything, I said, you finally come back and here's what you tell the party. Mm-hmm. Right. You saw and make me two checks. Okay, here's what you caught. You caught the fact that they had an emblem on their cloak and you heard something about this. And that's all like two little minor clues. And you, there was no special scene for you. You don't get to have your own mini adventure or anything like that. You know, I just give you a little summary of what you did. And you, the trade-off was you didn't participate in all this other cool stuff that happened at the, you know, the scene that you ran out of. So same thing with these guys fighting. If, if what they're doing is detracting from the current scene, you can say like, all right, you guys are too distracted by your fight right. to do this scene. So, you know, if you guys want to go over to an empty table and fight out, you can do that or whatever. I'll just summarize and, you know, come up with it. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. can... And you can perhaps handle it that way to kind of be like this happens off screen guys you know or let's assume you have a great fight um, right. do you guys want to like just roll d20s to see who wins like we don't have time for the whole fight but you right. know, what do you want to we're not all going to sit here watching your roll attacks right yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to go on with the plot you can either be off camera or just quickly summarize what happens f- to all of us and we continue on because that's right. not what the adventure is Right, right. Have you have you seen? I'm going to hijack the question a little bit. Um, have you seen situations where sort of the goals and motivations of the characters aren't really in great alignment in an organized play game, where there's not really much of a chance to address it until all of a sudden it happens? And the example I'll give is like a Zent character who's you know lawful evil is more than happy to assassinate the barge guy when everybody else is like, wait a minute, you know, we need that barge guy. You know, how did how yeah. how does that how do you handle that? So one thing I'll do is I'll freeze time. So they'll say like I kill him, and I say, all right. So you are clearly you know everybody can see that your character is about to kill this person. Uh, everybody has a chance to stop this. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody has a chance to stop this. What would you all want to do? And make it clear like you're the singular. All of the plural now gets to choose what you want to do. And someone might say, well, I try to talk you out of it. Or, you know, I'll put my shield in between. And, and, and I will always rule in the favor of that plurality rather than the, the one singular player that wants to hijack the thing. Um, now, if something's inappropriate, then I'll say, you know, that's not 
we're not going to go there, right? Torch yeah. or anything like that. We're, we're going to take right. that out of there. Anything with a trigger warning, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it immediately uh, and, and be more forceful about it. But otherwise, that's the thing I'll do is I'll freeze time when, when trouble is going to happen and I'll allow everybody else a chance to pause and stop it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a really funny one in one of the adventures that I wrote that I was running. And this is another fun thing about organized plays. You get to see what people do with your adventures that you think you've figured it out. And the bad guy at the end greets this party and says, uh, and, and the idea is very obvious, you are now going to fight this person, right? And you come back to the meeting with him to take him out. And he knows this as well. And so he says, so you've learned a lot inside, haven't you? And they go, yeah, here's the thing you wanted. <laughs> and he's like, um, so like, yeah, you can have it. Like, so we're okay with this. And so I say, you know, everybody can tell he's incredibly surprised. Did he, you can see he expected a fight. How do the rest of you feel about what this person is wanting to do? And they're yeah. like, yeah, I guess we're okay with that. <laughs> so yeah. there was, yeah. You know, so I, I kind of had another thing show up. So there was a little bit of a fight. But I mean, I reward him with the fact that, you know, they avoided sure. it. And have, we all had yeah. a good laugh about it. But that's the way it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. Well, we've 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 gone over a little bit. I always try to keep these things down to an hour, but you know, I love this conversation and us digging through our bags. I want to make sure people yeah. people got their questions answered. So I really appreciate you uh, uh, coming on the deep dive. Uh, I hope we can do this again. Awesome, and, I'd uh, love to. Um, always fun, Alex. Yeah, Alex. I want to thank you for all the hard work wrangling the uh, uh, the, the the chat channel and getting all those questions for us. That was really great. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so, thank you, everyone. And, and to the audience who watched, thank you very much. And to those of you watching on YouTube or listening to any podcast, thank you very much as well. And I want to thank to my, my friends, uh, uh, Rudy Basso, Alex Basso, of course, uh, and Rudy Basso and um, uh, James Indercasso, who, uh, uh, you know, give us, the, give us the network to host all of this stuff. And, 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 and all the hard work we're about to do. Yeah, right. Plays an awesome Ken Coop. God, that was fun. Yep. So thank you all very much. Really appreciate it. Time friends doing a real play fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast, including such themes as Ooh, awkward NPC romance, darts to the butt, chopping things with axes. Find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Twitter, Facebook, or Twitch. New episodes every other Sunday or every other Wednesday on Twitch. Check out our website, www.theventuremaidens.com, and start the quest today. Until then, venture away. Hey.